But unfortunately, just as models themselves that hold up an ideal don't always look like that in real life, as soon as we acknowledge that, what we do is we throw the model away. And we can't do that because it's still in Scripture. A model exists for a reason. It reminds us of what we're aiming for. It holds up a torch for weary travelers on the long road home. Do you see the attitude of the early disciples? Do you feel the motivation? There's only one thing that can cause people to act this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you in your poverty might become rich. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. Into the world he came. A world given to us by God. Made with his voice. God, the giver of creation, who gives us breath, gives the world the gift of his son. And into the world he came, Jesus Christ, the son of God and God, the son. And he gives, he gives of his time to a thirsting woman by a well, to a lame man by a pool, to a tax collector up in a tree. He gives his time. He gives sight to the blind. He gives the ability to walk to the lame. He gives health to the hurting. He gives the gospel, the story and offer of unconditional life and eternal salvation to everyone who puts their faith in his name. And in the garden that night, he gives up his struggling human will in deference to God's divine will. And he gives his life unto death so that the dead may one day have a life of their own. And we, the redeemed, we, the the transported, we, the baptized, according to Galatians 3, we put on Christ like we put on a coat, a coat of many colors, a coat made of the finest strands. And as we see Christ is the giver and we've put him on, that means giving is just part of the fabric of the Christian life. It's who we are. And it's no wonder that you see in the book of Acts over and over again that the early Christians, regardless of the amount of money they had, regardless of the talents they thought they naturally possessed, got busy giving whatever they had for the sake of the gospel. It's no wonder that the spirit that gives us life that now indwells us, according to Romans chapter eight, will one day give life to our mortal bodies like he gave life to Christ's body by raising him from the dead. And together, we, the church, are known as a giving people. We give attention to others because we serve a selfless savior. 
We use our gifts to build up the body of Christ because we are first gifted by God who purchased the body and loves the world. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul gives instructions, not just to Corinth, but to all the churches of Galatia, that when you come together, in addition to the fact that I've called you to be a singing people, I want you to sing to me. And in addition to the fact that I've called you to be a loving people, I want you to fellowship together. He adds, since we're givers, why don't you give? Why don't you give because I know some hurting people and I'm coming your way. The motivation for all this is so abundantly clear. We take our cue from Christ. Listen to this powerful verse on the lips of the Apostle Paul. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be made rich. Without a spiritual mindset, it's easy for words like this to just waft over our heads. We're pummeled every day by messaging from a self-centered consumer culture, and we can so easily get lost in the maze and lose sight of who we are. The storyline of Christ, the giver, gets drowned out by one-liners that are drawn from our secular culture. Let me give you some examples. I think the first line that sort of just works through our head is some sense of entitlement. Whatever I have is mine to spend on my wants, needs, and pleasures. It just seems to make sense. If I have it, it's mine. My two-year-old tells me this all the time. If I have it, it's mine. When you live in a consumer culture, this seems second nature. We live in a world that tells us that greed is good. That whoever dies with the most toys wins. And that your status and your identity is determined by the things you have. But surely we all remember this line from the book of Psalms. It's in chapter 50, verses 10 through 12, where God says, every beast on a thousand hills are mine. I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field. They're mine. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and all of its fullness are mine. If God is the creator of all, then that means he is the owner of all. And if God owns all, then that change changes my perspective on everything in creation, including what I happen to have in my pocket. And that leads me to the second line that seems to go through our heads. And that's born out of a sense of fear. If I give anything away, then I will have less. Math teachers in the audience are saying, uh, yes, that, that's basic logic. 
if I give anything away, I will have less. The problem with that way of thinking, even if it sounds like it makes sense, is that in the kingdom of God, the truth is the exact opposite. It's individualized thinking that assumes that what I have is mine. Therefore, if I have less, then that means, if I give away, then that means I have less. But if we have a communal thinking in mind, then what it means is that if we all give, then and only then will we all have enough. The only way to ensure that we all have enough is if we all give. The self-focused view of goods is actually to our own detriment. Do you remember what God taught the Israelites in the Old Testament? God is leading them through the wilderness, and he's trying to teach them some basic ideas. For example, you are not your own. All that you have is actually mine, says the Lord. I want to teach you this, and that I provide for you. And so he would send them something from the sky called manna. And he told them there were two rules to the manna. And you probably remember the first rule. The first rule is do not store up anything for tomorrow. And why would he do that? Well, I think one of the obvious reasons is this. He wants to teach them to expect God to lead them every day. He wants to get them into the mindset of, I want God and I need God like I need air. And he provides me what I need today. And I'm not going to say, thank you for taking care of me today. I've got it from here. You took care of me today, but I'll take care of myself tomorrow. He changed that mindset. And so he said, I'll give you the bread you need for today. And as you pray, give us this day, our daily bread. That same prayer will be the one you pray tomorrow. We know that one, but did you know there's a second rule? He said, only eat as much as you need so that there will be enough for everyone. What a different picture we get than the Black Friday lines outside of Walmart. Our unsatisfied culture that constantly drives us to consume and hoard is both bad for the community and bad for ourselves. But God changes our viewpoint. Instead of a scarcity mindset, that's where nothing you have is ever enough. We adopt a sharing mindset in which there is always enough for you because what I hold in my hand is yours. And there's always enough for me because what you hold in your hand is mine. The the Christian thinking about this is that we are stewards, not owners. And the first rule of stewardship for anyone here who manages someone else's money, you know this. It's that what's been placed in your hands as trust is to be used as instructed. And what are the instructions? We know the instructions. Freely you have received, says Jesus. So freely give. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he had everything, 
became nothing and gave his life a ransom for many. We are, in fact, called by God to be stewards, not owners, which means our question to God when we look at what he's given us is this. How can I use the gifts you've given me to bless others so that you may have glory? And that leads to the last line that I think keeps us from having a sharing mindset. And that is a line that's in our heads that's born out of judgment. And that is, there is something about people who say that they need what I have that tells me that they don't deserve what I have. Here's the line we'll use. God helps those who, you can finish it, help themselves. Now, that's not John or Paul or Jesus. That's Ben. That's Ben Franklin. That's from Poor Richard's Almanac. You won't find that line in the Bible. Now, there's an irony in living by this rule and thinking that it's Scripture. You see, even if we went by this rule, we'd find that we need to reevaluate because in the Lord's Prayer, in one of the versions of the model prayer he gave us, he says, forgive us our debts, the money I owe others, as we forgive those who owe us money. It seems from that verse alone that if you want God to help you with your debts, you should be the one who helps those who owe you. But we don't even have to go there because in reality, the line is wrong. In fact, God helps those who cannot help themselves. In fact, that's the first rule for Christians. Do you remember, uh, there's a great line from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says that the Bible calls us to be humble. Remember, God gives grace to the lowly, but pride he scorns. And Lewis says the first step to being humble is to confess that you're not. The first line, the first rule, the first step towards being humble is to confess that you're prideful. It's to acknowledge that I have something I need to let go of. The first requirement to receive God's grace is to acknowledge that you need it. You're not able to produce it. You can't live without it. To put it another way, if God's the owner of all, and if we're stewards, not owners, then everything we have is a blessing, and we have been blessed to bless others. Acts chapter 2 is the passage we looked at and we're looking at today because it describes an attitude or a lifestyle that seems so different than we see in our world. Let me read it again. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The trouble with models is that they almost never look exactly like that in real life. In fact, they hardly ever measure up to the ideal in real life. You remember the model prayer? It's so easy to say the words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's one thing to say it, but it's another 
to actually forgive the slumlord that's breathing down your neck or to forgive the creditors who won't stop calling. And so it is with this model. Communal life has problems because we're made of people and people bring their baggage with them. And so this model looks great, but it doesn't last like this by the time he finishes the book of Acts. In fact, it doesn't last five chapters because in Acts chapter six, the apostles have to call in ministers or servants. It's from the Greek word deacon means minister or servant. He has to create, the apostles have to go find some people to administrate and manage all of the money and the proceeds that have come in because people aren't being given equal share. We get it. We get that the model that's laid out here is not supposed to be used as something to stamp, to say that if you still have any possessions in your, in your closet, then you have failed to obey the Bible. That's not what was going on here. But unfortunately, just as models themselves that hold up an ideal don't always look like that in real life, as soon as we acknowledge that, what we do is we throw the model away. And we can't do that because it's still in Scripture. A model exists for a reason. It reminds us of what we're aiming for. It holds up a torch for weary travelers on the long road home. Do you see the attitude of the early disciples? Do you feel the motivation? There's only one thing that can cause people to act this way. Only one thing can cause them to live this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. That though he was rich, he became poor. So that you in your poverty might become rich. This beautiful passage that I just read from 2 Corinthians 8, it's set in the middle of a chapter where Paul is writing a fundraising letter. And I'm amazed at how different his letter is from most fundraising letters that I get. I got one just this week. And in order to raise money for a noble cause, the letter began by citing the difficult economic times that we're in. And then it went on to talk about their own dire need. And then it ended by talking about how great I would feel were I to give to this cause. It's amazing to me that Paul appeals to none of that. In two chapters, he writes a fundraising letter and he does not appeal to how bad things are in the culture and financial terms. Or to the particularities of the dire need or to how good you'll feel by being a good deed doer. He appeals to something much deeper, much better than what you can use to butter someone up. He says, giving is the lifeblood of being a Christian because it's who we are. It's what we do. Paul says in these two chapters, three things about what giving is. First, he says, giving is a blessing. Another word for this is the word grace or gift. Amazing to think about this. He says, I want you to understand something. 
When Christ gave everything, he was the model of God himself. So when we want to be like God, one way you can be like God is by giving. It changes our mindset from I need it so I can take care of myself tomorrow. It changes to I get a chance to show the world the one story, the narrative that determines my life. Christ is a giver. And we too have been given the blessing, the gift, the grace of being givers. Second, he says, giving is an opportunity a fellowship. Not just do we get a chance to give, we get a chance to give to a brother or a sister. Any of you here who have close family, you'll know that when you're a kid, there's nothing better than getting presents. I mean, it's the best. But when you get older, there's nothing better than giving to someone who loves receiving presents. It's a chance of fellowship. And third, he says that giving is a service or a ministry. We're all priests. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, which means we all are intercessors between the world and God. We're a chance. We're given the chance to by our actions to announce to the people around us that Christ is in the neighborhood and giving is a ministry. In fact, the ability to give, the ability to make money, manage money, grow money, and then give that to others is listed as one of the gifts of the Spirit in Romans and in Corinthians. Do you see? Do you see that everything in all creation is not a story all about you? It's a story about God, and we are his instrument. He pours into us the gift of giving, the gift of encouragement, the gift of hospitality. And then we give with our time or our talent or our treasure because we are constantly being filled by him. And we use our gifts, and they produce that result in the gift of work or the gift of resources. And when we give, we renounce our addiction to greed. We say no to the voices that are constantly pummeled into our heads that say, you must have in order to be. And we say, no, I have Christ. And I have the opportunity. Let the world know. All that I have is God's. I am a steward, not an owner, and I have been blessed to bless others. We scatter seed upon the ground. We never expect a return for our benefit, but we fully expect a harvest for God's benefit. Our giving tells the story of Jesus, and the story of Jesus changes the world. We're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitation song. And we're going to encourage you to give. The first and most important thing that God wants you to give is yourself. Remember this line. 
Paul says to the Corinthians, I wanted to tell you about all my mission trips and travels, but I can't stop telling you about where I just came from because these people had less money than anyone I know. But they gave and they couldn't help but give and they wanted to partner and they wanted to be part of what we're doing. They were eager to be part of it because they first gave of themselves. If you've already given yourself, what's your money? Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.